Is this the week that politics in Britain changes for the future? The Lib Dem sleeper agent in Liz Truss is doing her job fantastically well and crippling the Tory party. Welcome to the Lib Dem podcast. Hello and welcome to the Lib Dem podcast. My name is John Potter. I am the host of the podcast and also a councillor up here in Lancashire. And join us today, we're going to talk a lot about everything that's happened in this last week, from a mini budget to the pound crashing to what happens now. As we're speaking right now on Sunday, the Tories are about to start their conference. And will it be bloodletting? Will it be a crazy Liz? Uh, fan base we just do not know but to discuss everything that's going on and maybe even make some predictions as best we can on what will happen in the future we have a brilliant panel joining us one of our regulars is Alison Bennett hello Alison welcome back hi John have you had an enjoyable week uh yes yeah I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed um most of the news but particularly the local radio round on Thursday morning thank god for BBC Sounds Absolutely, I think I don't think BBC Sounds had so many people logging into it in years just to see all these different all these different stations grilling Liz Trust. Now we are very delighted to bring in back Councillor Martin Boffey, who, but there was controversy last time when he last appeared on the show. He made a bold prediction right at the start of the Tory leadership race that we shouldn't discount Liz Trust. What did you know that we didn't, Martin? Um, that she'd been courting the membership for years and was a, for a long-standing darling of the membership and she she could get it to the last round it was in the bag and that's basically what happened but so, I've no, I'm, I'm not really feeling very good about being right about that at the moment I have to say <laughs> any predictions Martin makes about potential nuclear apocalypse with Russia we should all then buy shares in bottled water and bunkers so that's uh, <laughs> that's where we're going listeners and our Finally, we're delighted, honoured to have former MEP Caroline Voden come on to the podcast. Thank you very much for coming on, Caroline, and congratulations. You have just been selected as our parliamentary candidate for Totnes, so exciting times all round. Absolutely, I have, yes. Nice to see you. Hello. Right, so there's a million things to start with today, but before we, we go on with the rest of the show, we just want to say a huge thank you to everyone that follows to us on social media at, at LibDemPod and all of those particularly who donate money to us every month via Patreon. We really appreciate that. Um, I've just done the draw for our uh, prize giveaway, so congratulations to that person. You have not responded to my text yet, but you're going to have a nice morning when you realise you've won a luxury hamper of goods. Um, we're also doing special episodes called Podcast extra that you can actually come in and see where we're going to go into in-depth into some of the campaign materials and we're just going to show a little clip for of that episode that people on patreon can watch now so yeah fracking is something i think we need to major on as well as the whole attack on nature piece that you know and the sewage there's a, there's a massive yeah. set of environmental stories to work on um, over the over the coming months um, it would be really good. To, I've got a colleague on in my group who is a sort of rewilding and biodiversity net gain expert and hope, hoping we can get him on the podcast in a few weeks time to talk about what's being proposed. But again, Mims Davies has described this, you know, the RSPB um, and WWF stances um, being inflammatory and a bit of a hubbub, which um, I thought was... Um, not particularly well judged, given you know the number of members of the National Trust there are at the RSPB, and and how quite often they vote Conservative. So um, yeah, plenty of stuff on the environmental stuff. So that was our little bit of an extra episode for our uh, Patreon subscribers and fans. So thank you very much for that. We're going to now get into the only story that's been going on really this week, and the tanking of the British economy. I suppose I'm going to start with you, Alison, as one of our our regulars. Given the predictions that Rishi Sunak made throughout the leadership race, should we be surprised by this? Perhaps not. Perhaps the man was actually fit to become the next leader of the Conservative Party, uh, if not, in my view, great prime ministerial material, um, simply because he's a member of the Conservative Party. Um, but no, the clips of him in the leadership race um, were sort of pretty telling about what would what would actually happen. I mean, maybe his name should be Nostradamus rather than Rishi. 
that will be that's a I'm sure he'll take that. Um, but and I and I do like the fact Rishi said, uh, will he be coming at conference? No, I won't. This is Liz's time to shine, which <laughs> which was which was uh very funny. What what about you, uh Martin? Did you I mean, did you see this coming? I mean, there was a lot of expectation that Liz Truss would have to do something big and bold because you'd only have two years before the general election. Did you see this sort of economic package actually being put forward? Um, not to the extent that it has been. I did. Uh, I think I saw the general tone of it, but I think what's shocked me has been a the doubling down of what they've gone for, but b and far more seriously from my perspective is the complete professional ineptitude with the way in which it's actually been carried out and the unforeseen consequences that that's had for everybody, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. But for me, there's very two, there's two very different elements to the mini budget and its failure. One is kind of the policy issues, which obviously we disagree with, but two is just the basic competence about how you carry out government that is very worrying. Caroline, should we just very briefly describe kind of what's happened in this last week in terms of the crashing of the pound etc i mean this is almost i mean for anyone that don't know this was the 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 libertarian right wing of the toy party had always said look if we had a prime minister that actually genuinely believed in this stuff then you know britain would open up and it would be a beautiful utopia of free market economics uh obviously that this first week hasn't happened like that so what what are your impressions of what we've seen this last week well, I, I agree with Martin. I think it's partly it's partly what they said and, and it's partly how they said it. I mean the bit that the bit that I found most astonishing in all of it was that they could have that there could have been a conversation around a table in a room where people actually thought it was a good idea to lift the cap on bankers' bonuses and remove a 45p tax bracket. I mean, you know, all the other measures aside, it just seems so utterly tone deaf. You know, leave leave aside the economics of it, but the political mm. You know, the, politically, how that comes across, it just seems astonishing that they could have had that conversation. Said, "Oh yeah, let's do that." You know, that's a that's a that's a good wheeze. Um, and you know, as as people have been saying, I mean, Laura Kunzberg was saying to saying this morning, wasn't she? That you know, trust goes on and on and on about how they had to help the with the energy package, which they did and which will help people, but they've kind of given with one hand and completely taken away with the other because you know, as as interest rates rise and mortgages yeah. rise, then it's neither here nor there whether you've got help with your energy bill if you're not going to be able to keep your house. But I suppose the problem that didn't get picked up by Laura Koonsberg is also, and it, it was discussed in last week before the mini budget came along, was actually who pays for that 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 gas incentive. Because obviously for us and then later Labour, we're saying, look, there's got to be a windfall tax. The gas and oil companies have to pay for this. But we're still paying for that. They're paying for borrowing. In fact, we'll be paying more through doing it that way. Absolutely. And it seems they seem to have chosen some really strange things to, you know, they've, 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 they've gone for this massive amount of borrowing, which has tanked the economy, but to cut to pay for what to pay for tax cuts for people who are already extremely wealthy and the energy price cap help, which should have been paid for by the energy companies. So yeah, people keep saying Quasi Quateng is a really, really intelligent guy. I, I, I'm, a, I'm at a loss at the moment. I don't really see it. And uh, just jumping in on the point about borrowing for the help with the energy bills, for me, that what stood out about that is by it, because it's being done through borrowing, it further bakes in intergenerational unfairness. So it's my kids who are going to be paying for their grandparents to have their energy bills reduced this winter. And it's only for the next few months that that huge amount of borrowing is actually going to fund. Um, and there's enough intergenerational unfairness as it is in this country, without stacking more onto the younger generations. Mm. So, so there's yeah. a question there, Martin, is why? Why why would they do it? Because it's what they believe in. <laughs> and they see it's their one chance to go for broke and make the big sweeping changes. I mean, there's, there's a certain amount of uh, a nasty blend of conviction politics with scorched earth policy going on in that basically think, well, we've only got a small amount of time to make these big fundamental structural changes to the way Britain runs before we all get kicked out of office. So we're going to do it and hang the consequences. I mean, she did, she, she did say, to be fair to Liz, also with the leisure things, that she was prepared to do things that were unpopular 
So you can't you can't accuse mm. her of uh, of of not telling the truth in that regard. But I think Caroline's right. I mean, the blend of things. That, so the economic kind of incompetence on one side, you can say, all right, they really want to go for that. But then it's it is the things like the bankers' bonuses where they think they've left themselves open. Now, how can they? And it looks like today we talked about Martin talked about double downing. It looks like they're going to triple down on it and say actually she refused to commit saying that benefits would raise with inflation. This time out. So actually, yeah. not, and how can you defend? How can anyone defend that when you remove the top rate of tax and the bankers' bonuses? And you just think, you know, the, politically it's so thick-headed. I'm not sure yeah. where they go uh, from it. And while there's a fifty-fifty, while there's a fifty-fifty on this, I was going to say on what on Alison's point is they've they've committed to the triple lock, but not to raising benefits. Now I'm not going to criticize someone for committing to the triple lock, but it is a kind of a right basically, you know, pensioners vote for us, so we'll look after them, but but everybody else doesn't. So stuff them. It's it, it's further enhancing that generational inequality. Yeah. And I, I, you have to wonder who in number 10 is working on the comms for them. Um because there clearly isn't any sort of equivalent of an Alistair Campbell type. Mm. in number 10 at the moment going this is a terrible idea if you scrap the top rate of income tax you know it looks really like you hate poor people and want to reward rich people there's nobody giving them that check and balance aside from the economics of it and I just find it extraordinary that they think that's a good way to proceed you know unless they actually want to throw the next general election well she said this morning didn't she that too often politicians are scared to do things because of how it looks and actually, I don't care how it looks. This is this is my plan. This is what I want to do. And it's not all mm. about how it looks. You know, it, I mean, it really is an ideology, isn't it? it this yeah. is like like you said, you know, they've got two years to make massive changes, make the changes they want before the next election. And she's just going to plow on and do it. I mean, God help us if she's actually in office for the next two years, because what else is she going to come up with? And I think what's da- dangerous about that is, whilst I, I sort of get it to a degree, what there's a lack of perception about the fact that sometimes there are just some people or institutions that you do have to actually pay attention to if you actually want to be able to deliver any of your agenda in, in the long run. And that's why I just wanted to, I know we don't want to get too technical, but key mistakes in terms of how they did this. Number one, they sacked the permanent treasury to the secretary, secretary of treasury on day one. He was kind of the last big beast in the Treasury who had actually been through a financial crisis. So it might have been someone useful to have around when you do this sort of thing. Number two, they didn't share the forecasting numbers to back up this. And basically, just forgetting that they forgot that you can't just go out and borrow 150 billion quid just because you want to, because you're the government. Someone has to actually lend it to you. And to do that they have to have some kind of understanding that you've done your homework about what it is that you're doing. And then, number three, over the weekend, when people they started worrying a bit about how the inequality side of it looked, they went, yeah, but there's going to be more. <laughs> we're going to do more tax cuts and we're going to borrow more money, which that's what tipped the market over the edge in just sort of saying, well, we're going to penalise you for how much this is all going to cost. And, and and the last bit about that that's really kind of worrying is they said, well, we're not going to do the forecast. Then they've said, now we will do the forecast. But here's the rub. Those forecasts will now be much, much worse than they would have been if they'd published them last Friday. Because now when they do the forecasts, they're going to have to do them on the rate that it costs the money, that it costs the government to borrow this money since the crash than what it would have been before. So they've baked it in now. Do you think they'll scrap the OBR? Oh, sorry, the Office of Budget Responsibility? It, it, as soon as they didn't do that, as soon as they refused to do that, I thought this is going to be something grim that's coming out. And, and Liz Truss's answer, again, we're talking about a lot of them because they did the morning rounds uh, today, saying, oh, well, the OBR wasn't ready. <laughs> but we knew during the week the OBR said, no, we were good to go. We we have a provisional thing ready to go. It, yeah. it, it, but it's interesting. I just want to touch a, bit, a little bit, a really important point what Alison said about the comms, about the uh, Alice account. I don't know if any of you listened to the new, uh, there's a new podcast by John Sopel and Emily Make that's called The News Agents. It's a little bit talking shop. It's a little bit journalist talking shop, but it is interesting. And there's now no comms unit in, in, in 10 Downing Street. They've moved them out of 10 Downing Street into Whitehall. So there's no one there 
who's round the corner from the Prime Minister and the Chancellor to say, actually, lads, might not be a great idea. And it feels like it's just disconnected, doesn't it? I mean, as a as a journalist, uh, Caroline, you can you can imagine it must be a field day for journalists thinking they don't have any media training people there to help them out. Yeah, yeah, no, I do listen to the news agents podcast and I love it because it is like you say, it's it's journalists talking shop, but I love all that. Um, yeah, she moved to raise coffee in instead, didn't she? She got rid of the, <laughs> yeah. pre- the communications guy from the office next door and moved to raise coffee in beside her. I it, it just beggars belief. I mean, she's not the best communicator, you know, and she's I, I think in a way it's a shame that politicians do tend to get judged on how they perform on the media. And it's not all about how you perform on the media. You know, there's a lot more to being a, a good and successful politician. So I, I don't feel it's right to to completely judge someone by their by their performance. But you know, if ever there was a prime minister that needed a bit of comm support, it, it's this one, you know, and, and that, that she thinks she can get away without having that person sort of around nearby. I, it's just astonishing. I mean, her, her, I don't know what it is, hubris or self-confidence or, or self-belief. I don't know. Hello, John from the Lib Dem podcast here. We are delighted to say that this episode is sponsored by Prater Reigns. Now more than ever, you need a professional-looking online presence and website. Prater Reigns have been helping Liberal Democrat campaigns succeed for 18 years. Their Lib Dem Foci package combines a website, social media and email system to help Lib Dems win. You'll receive great support from real people, fair pricing and a huge range of features to choose from. Prater Reigns are already the bespoke developers for Lighthouse, Lib Dem Draw Online and the LD Directory. They combine a talented system design with an unrivaled understanding of our party, our data and our systems. To find out more, check out the Prater Reigns website at praterreigns.co.uk slash liberal-democrats. Where does it go from here, from that side of the toys? And we're obviously not on that side of politics, but it is because, like I say, the libertarian, like economically right wing, has been demanding this happen for so long. You know, if only David Cameron was like us, if only Theresa May was like us, and now they've got it, and it's an absolute shower. And so, what happens? Do will they just say, "Look, someone," because? They'll always find usually something else to blame. Is that to say, look, we just didn't have time. It's got the good times going to come. We just need to let it happen. Or are they going to blame someone else? I know Sunak or Remainers or whatever else. Who are they going to blame, Alison? Um, from the sounds of this week, all of the above. <laughs> I mean, they're definitely It was Keir Starmer's fault. That's right. That's oh, what yeah, that's right. Uh, the reason the polls were so bad is the fear of a Labour government. That was a yeah. particularly special point this week. Um, it is also, of course, entirely down to uh, sort of the, the global world order and Vladimir Putin. It's definitely his fault, too. Um, and it is also part of those rem- nasty Romanian bankers that basically want to rejoin the EU. So I think we're all responsible and in no way should uh, Trussell Quarteng be blamed. It, it was quite there is a bit... a bit of an elephant in the room, isn't there? You know, they've talked on and on and on and on about wanting to grow the economy. And every time I hear it, I just think, hmm. Mm. A single market on our doorstep, 450 million people. What, you know, what would be the easiest way to achieve that? It <laughs> might be a good way to grow the economy. The, 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 every time this trust opens our mouth, the cost of government borrowing goes up by half a percent. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not even making that up. It, just, it, it happens. You can see it in real time. <laughs> but it, it, it is also a bit of kind of, uh, kind of political yoga to have to say, you know, it's and I saw that same one. It's these city slicker bankers or whatever was on the front page of the Daily yeah. Mail. You mean the people you've just no. released their cap and allowed them to earn more money on? It's it is absolutely desperate now. And obviously, for those that don't know, the Tories have utterly tanked in the polls. Now, again, we're going to have a bit of a longer episode in the future regarding what this means regarding. Uh, possible Labour majority, what that means for a general election going forward. But how, do we think the Tories can recover from this? Because what is noticeable as well, so Labour have had an uptick. There's no there's no doubt about that. But what was interesting, out of the, the people that have left the Tories, who have left them in this latest polling, only about 20% are saying they're going to switch to Labour. So hopefully there's a fair chunk that would switch to Lib Dem as well, because as we know from all the by-elections and the data we read, there will be some Tory voters who will never vote Labour, but will vote other parties. 
But I think a vast majority of them are still going from Tory to don't know, which suggests that there is a possibility of getting them back. Now, Martin, I'll start with you. Do you think the Tories can recover from what's happened in this week, or do you think it's now terminal until after the next general election? No, they can't. It's all over. <laughs> okay, there we go. No, no, and I'll tell you why. Nobody survives a sterling crisis. It just never happens. And and they have lost control of the economy. I actually had a, a, a Conservative councillor who was speaking to me about this the other night and was saying they saw they saw the 30% Mm. poll and went, oh, this is terrible. And, uh, I said no that's that's a blip it's it's not going to be like that and he says well I don't know it might you know I think it's going to be difficult to pull it round and I said oh no no you're definitely going to lose the question is by how much and his face kind of dropped at that point but <laughs> that's yeah Caroline there you go. what do you think I think that they will recover a bit I don't. I. Th- I. Th- they've lost the next election. I, I think it's fair to say they've lost the next election. I don't think there'll be a rout, anything like what with what we've seen this week. And it's certainly not yeah. going to be like Canada, sadly, where they went down to two seats or something from being the ruling party. My one thing that has crossed my mind that might happen, and I don't think this is very likely, but I think it's possible, is that there might be something over the next few weeks or months that Trust tries to get through Parliament and might fail to get through Parliament because, you know, it took her until the fourth or fifth round of that leadership election to actually pull ahead of Penny Mordaunt. Um, She's only still got a third of the vote then. Yeah, and she was not popular with MPs. And, you know, there is, I've seen stuff on social media, don't know how true it is, I have seen that there are Tory MPs already beginning to talk about voting, maybe voting down the 45p tax cut. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not going to take that many of them to, to think... No. You know what? We've lost our seats already. We've, you know, we're going to lose our jobs. And actually, this is this is so painful that maybe we should just call it a day and and call time on this government and get out and go and do something else. I don't know. I mean, I think if I was Tory MP, I'd almost want to go because it's it's embarrassing. And Alison, we've talked in the past. I'm not sure if you were on the episode where we were talking about um, how it felt on the doors, and I made mm. the point that the the Tories I speak to, lovely, moderate everyday kind of voters that are in my kind of patch who just seem tired of it. You know, people have been Tory for years, decades and decades, and they were just tired of it. And I, and Tories need to get them back if they're going to recover. And this is, this was before the debacle that's happened now. How are they going to recover, Alison? How are they going to get back those sort of tired Voters who sort of lifelong Tories, do you mean? Yeah, exactly. Because they're the people that are going to pick them up in the end, aren't they? So I I would assume that Truss is thinking she sort of digs in and holds the line, which everything she said would indicate that's what she wants to do. Rides out a pretty awful winter and waits for inflation to start to drop and hope that from there people kind of can see the benefit of her plan. Uh, I mean, I'm sceptical about that. Um, but I think the counter to that is really what Caroline's talking about, about the mood amongst the Conservative Parliamentary Party, where they basically just spent the whole summer navel gazing, you know, about who should be their next leader. And very, very quickly, uh, the trust government has chucked away any possibility of that immediate bounce that you'd normally expect to see when a new leader comes in. She's acting well outside the mandate of the 2019 general election and that manifesto mm-hmm. that kind of brought the red wall together and those red wall MPs in. And so like Caroline says, you know, there's going to be a lot of conservative MPs who are thinking, well, I can't see how I'm going to keep my seat or I might have to really fight for my seat for the first time ever. Maybe, maybe trust isn't, isn't the answer. And who, who do we know who does bring people together and is a good communicator and who's still keen on the job. And yeah. so, you know, I'm not ruling out the Boris comeback, I have to say. Oh, I, I saw some real that dangers. happens, we're blaming you, Alison, now. That's my <laughs> prediction, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw danger signs for Trust this morning on, on, on Kingsborough, simply by the fact that Michael Gove seems to be the, you can't yeah. do this, this is all wrong. This isn't just some unknown backbencher or someone someone from 20 years ago with a bit of an axe for grind. This is Michael Gove. Mm. 
tearing her a new one, frankly. Yeah. And you just think that's that's a really bad sign. In terms of things that there might be rebellions on, so there's obviously there's the 45p tax rate, but what we haven't seen yet is all of the things that they're saying are coming along mm. to back up this plan. And I see problems for them with that because she does have a bit of a tin ear with these things. And if she thinks that it's going to be easy to get through planning reform or binning environmental regulations to actually support this agenda, she's in for a big surprise because there's a lot of Tory MPs in the shires, especially ones who are facing, you know, environmentally aware Lib Dems or or, or green threats who are just not going to wear this stuff. I um I did a the the regional Sunday politics thing. Um, we recorded it on Friday, and George Eustace was on with us. Um, and he wasn't pulling any punches. I mean, you know, he basically said the whole thing was a mess and that, you know, he couldn't support it. And then he talked about the environmental stuff as well. And, and you know, all the thousands of hours that had gone into trying to draw up this ELM scheme and, and that, you know, potentially it might all be thrown away. He said, I hope not. But, you know, I don't know what's going, you know, and it just it, it felt like. He said he wasn't going to conference. There was another Tory MP from Cornwall on in a clip who said he wasn't going to conference. You know, they they, they, they are very openly not supporting their party leader, who they have literally just put in office. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Michael Gove was brutal this morning. If anyone sees it, that unconservative was the line that got oh, yeah. up, and it just and it's and and a lot of other people saying, you know, you can't clap nurses uh, one day and then uh, give bankers uh, a bonus the next it's just it, it, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be rough for them and i don't know but what's interesting and we had a little chat just before we started recording about my my view is that conservative mp's number one priority is actually the, the retaining of power and actually and the conservative party is brilliant at it we shouldn't we shouldn't uh, in the in the modern democratic world the british conservatives have been one of the most successful political parties in history in actually being able to change face and do what they do. So, but I can't see a way they get through this without it making it worse. So, for example, if Gove and the other MPs don't like the 45p tax rate being dropped um, and they rebel or don't support it, they lose the whip. Jake Berry, the party chairman, has just said they will lose the whip, which means it would collapse the government. No Tory mm. wants an election right now, so they're not going to collapse the government. If they elect, if trust by some miracle goes and they elect a new leader, there'll be massive pressure on them to have a general election because of the legitimacy mandate that we've, it's already stirring now. Can you imagine two prime ministers without being elected in? They lose all their seats. Or they carry on with this economic disaster and it gets worse and they lose the seats. I mean, I don't, I can't see a way out for them. There's, there's... But John, you say no, but none of them will will rebel because they'll lose the whip. I mean, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe there are enough Tory MPs with a conscience who think actually it's important enough for that to happen. That, but, but, but proroguing of Parliament and everything else wasn't. You know, Partygate wasn't. It's just, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys? What do you think, Alison? Well, didn't we clear out some of the ones with a conscience uh, in the run-up to the yeah, general election true, yeah. in 2019? <laughs> that's been one of the problems since then, hasn't it? Um, no, I mean, there clearly are some very, very unhappy Conservative MPs, like Caroline says, with you know, George Eustace, um, can't remember his name, Walker, can't remember. Was it Charles Walker? Charles yeah, Walker, Charles Walker yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's about, a number yeah, of them who are pretty happy to be quite public about their unhappiness. So, you know... Maybe the well, think, maybe the backbones will form. We don't know. Uh, well, you know, there's the I think the Northern Research Group, aka the Red Wallers and all that, they're going to be difficult because if if they don't get what what they were promised in terms of the whole levelling of gender, which has never really been much of anything, but I mean, if she mm. she openly comes out and just goes, "Well, sorry, we can't afford any of this all anymore," it's back to Plan A of rebuilding the City of London. Yeah. I really don't think that's going to wash with with those those quite large group, cohesive groups of Conservative MPs. I suppose then the other option is: will they do what Christian Wakeford did and defect? That would be. I mean, do we think there'll be defections to Labour over the next two years? 
unlikely, I think, or not in any serious mm. numbers. Yeah, um, so I think, well, sorry, interrupt you, Alison. No, go on, Caroline. Well, you were saying all the reasonable ones have been cleared out. Mm. So I think anybody who might be might have been a likely candidate for crossing the floor, they, they've long gone. Unless self-preservation is what matters yeah. to them. Yeah. Mm. That might and be. also, I don't think that the Labour Party, as it's currently presenting itself, although it's had a you know really positive conference and there wasn't sort of civil war, um, is quite is that appealing still? I don't think it looks like that polished machine that's kind of about to walk into number ten, maybe quite in the way that it did in sort of ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, I, I made a point, so I might, and I was uh, on Twitter that you know not being conservative is not a particularly strong vote winner uh, for, for, for like really having a galvanised vote, just not being the alternative. You want people to buy into it. So Labour's had a decent conference. They didn't, you know, they didn't tear themselves apart. There was no major gaffes at the conference other than um, the, the oh, I can't remember her name. Is it Rupert Hooks? Huck. Oh, Rupert yeah, Rupert Huck. Hooks yeah. uh, making a foot. But even that wasn't enough to throw it off. But I just think that that shift, and like we said earlier, it's only about 20% of those Tory vote, 2019 voters going back to Labour. So there's a there's a weakness and a softness to the Labour support where they haven't yet sealed the deal. People don't like the Tories. They don't know if they love Labour yet. And I think, Martin, that's where I'm at with Labour. That they Obviously, they're yeah, uh, sky high with optimism right now, but I think it's a worry that Labour might be taking it for granted. I think that's I think that's true, but I also think... Um, well, I hate to bring it to a sporting analogy, although at least it's rugby, so you're you're on good ground with it. But basically, the Tories have given Labour the ball, right? With, with and when I say the ball, I mean basically the mantle of economic competence. They've basically ceded that, which is in anything like normal times is the most important thing going into a general election. It's like can can Labour hold on to it? And can they make some progress with it? Because if they can hold on to that for long enough, it will, you know, they'll they'll get there. Um, but have, and I think actually, um, she's had a response to the budget that went very well actually in Parliament, and then I think she's had a speech at conference that went down really well on all sides. So you just cut out there. I think you were talking about Rachel Reeves, actually the 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 Labour mm. the Labour MP, yeah. Although yeah, she but again, it's I mean Rachel Reeves obviously got labelled by yeah, she's had a really strong week. Yeah, she has. Uh, I mean, she's been given a, an open goal to shoot at to keep the sporting analogies going. But you know, you can't say the Labour hasn't had a good week because they have. Now, I'm interested about how we feel. No, the the issue of tax cuts. I mean, there's a there's a timing issue. There's a there's a political issue in terms of how it looks. But also, it is one of these things about. Do I? I don't. There's not actually an actual word. I call it American dreamism, where people tend not to be grumpy about tax cuts, whether that's stamp duty or whatever, because they think at one time, at some point, they might be that rich. Um, and it's it's a difficult sell for voters now. Do we think there's any prospect that the Tories have done a good job here in the long term? In fact, people they'll they'll be hurting right now or in the immediate future, but actually people might come round. I'm being real devil's advocacy here. You you understand. I'm trying to paint some sort of challenge to us. Flat silence. <laughs> so I think you know, some of <laughs> some of the tax cuts that were announced weren't actually tax cuts. They were just non-progressions of slated tax increases. Yeah. Um, National insurance being the big one. Yeah. So one would be corporation tax that was meant to be going from, correct me if I'm wrong, 19 to 25%. Is that right? Yeah. And that's going to be held at 19. Yeah. Um, and I, I was talking um, to some dads when we were watching kids football yesterday and they've both got businesses and they were like, it's just, it was just crazy that corporation tax was going to go up to 25%, you know, 19% is much more sensible. You know, one of them, he's got an import export business. Um, if you look at corporation tax in Ireland, for example, that's currently at 12.5%. I've just Googled it. Um, and they're part of the single market. And so if you're looking at where you're going to invest, 
why would you want to come to Britain with all the barriers to trade that we've got? And you've got, you know, much higher corporation tax when you've got Ireland, you know, English speaking nation right next door. So there is there there are cases and there are decent arguments for why those why some of those taxes shouldn't be going up and up and up. Um, But as we've already said, the optics of the uh, top rate of income tax going was just bonkers. I also one of the ones I object to as well is the is the stamp duty um, cut. You know, they they always talk about how it'll help people get on the housing ladder. Well, uh, one obvious issue with that at the moment is that they've they've now sent interest rates soaring, so nobody's going to be able to pay a mortgage. So, um, you know, there was that woman on Question Time. I don't know if you saw the other night the the young mm-hmm. woman who said she'd had a four point five percent mortgage offer, which had turned into ten point four percent overnight. I mean, it's just just frightening. Um, but apart from that, you know, I live in a place. Uh, that is absolutely crippled by second home ownership and and Airbnb lets and all that kind of stuff. And and the fact that you're cutting stamp duty or for for us, you know, the optics for me here is all that does is it makes it even easier for rich people to come and buy a second home because they don't have to pay stamp duty. You know, it doesn't help anyone get on the housing ladder. And there's there's no talk about you know, helping people who are renting, is there? And and actually for, for renters, it's going to be even harder because landlords' costs are going to be going up. So rent's going to go up even further. So I think, you know, people may appreciate that 1% cut on income tax from 20% to 19%, but I saw something which said the average different, you know, on an average salary, that's going to make 150, 170 pounds a year difference. I mean, that's going to disappear in one month on higher prices, isn't it? So it's kind of neither here nor there, really. Mine. Um, well, so I'm a tax accountant. <laughs> so, so I remember when I started training, corporation tax was at 30%. So it's it's interesting what happens over time. I mean, the, the 45% income tax rate, it's always been, in my opinion, it's always been, um, I don't want to use the word virtue signaling because that suggests that I don't agree with it or or whatever. But it's never been about what it actually be, does. It's been about what it signals yeah. about what your priorities are because it's just not a very good tax and it just doesn't work very well. It's a, so, but why? So why it brings in two billion? Doesn't um, well, for one thing, it. it interact with lots of other things at different bands and different points in, in things. It doesn't raise them a lot of money, um, but it disincentivizes lots of behavior. So it's, uh, there is sort of an element of truth to some of the laugh curve stuff. But it, in terms of it, it, so it, it signals a lot more than it actually brings in in terms of money. But then at the same time, you couldn't possibly pick a worse time to get rid of it yeah. than now in terms of that that signaling reason um you know do you want to be doing this at the same time as upping bankers bonuses and mm. cutting and, and giving real terms wage cuts to nurses no you don't there well, are think- some really bizar- bizarre marginal tax rates that all happen around the hundred thousand to hundred and fifty thousand pounds rate because it's not just that it's also the the removal of tax-free childcare, the removal of the personal allowance so when you stack all of these things up at that particular point in the income scale you've got marginal tax rates of anywhere between sort of 60 and 90% on, on every pound that people earn. It is a basket case round there in that part of the income stream, but it's just a terrible time to be doing a policy like that. The mm-hmm. Ireland tax rate thing is an interesting one in that the reason they've got such a low corporation tax rate over there is because whilst the Republic of Ireland is a really beautiful part of the world. It's a really rubbish place to be based logistically. So a lot of their costs about running a business, you know, transport, logistics, all sorts of other things are quite punitively high. So they have a low tax rate to try and offset that to make it a more competitive place to live. And, and you know, there are going to be global minimum tax rates brought in shortly to, to around the 15% and so on. So they won't be able to stick around that forever. Going up to 25 was a rubbish policy, but there's nothing sort of particularly special about being at the 19% or lower than that, you know. And as um, Rishi Sunak has said, not that I want to hold him up as a paragon of wisdom, but, you know, <laughs> we've tried low corporation taxes for growth. It doesn't work and it doesn't. And and Gordon Brown, don't forget, only brought in 
the 45p in his last month of 13 years of being in Labour government. That was so, but you're right, it's the perception of if you're going to do horrendous things, do you, is that the priority at the moment is to reduce that? And it's not. Uh, whatever, no. However, um, the the even no. the arguments you can make eco- economically about it, just politically, it's absolutely toxic for them. Uh, and that's why... It's interesting, though, isn't it? They've had 12 years and they haven't really, you know, from what Martin's saying, it sounds like it's quite messy. Why haven't they sorted it out, so streamlined it, so that it all makes more sense at those higher income rates you know if they're the people they want to you know to sort of protect and um there hasn't been the political wiggle room to do it caroline from my point of view i just don't think we've had you know obviously after 2008 the economy hasn't really bounced back in any sort of massive fashion since that point okay we might have got up to what's the highest growth that we've had in the last 12 years what two and a bit percent something like that it hasn't been it hasn't been massive so they haven't had that political wriggle room to be able to do it now but what they've done is obviously decided to do it now at the worst possible time um uh yeah so but that is going to be something that hits them hard now one of the questions obviously we are a, a campaigning podcast is where the lib dems go with this now because obviously at some point and there's a little few questions asking labor now if you don't do this, then what are you going to do? Um, and and that's a very difficult one. And we have obviously two confirmed parliamentary candidates here, and that will be a question that comes to you. So, Alison, what would you do different? <laughs> well, what I wouldn't do is what I just heard Tulip Sadiq do on Times Radio this morning. So she's now she's a Labour MP for those that don't know, and she's one of the shadow spokespeople for the Treasury. Um, Oh, what a car crash that interview was. She was basically being asked these questions, you know, are Labour in favour of the tax cuts or not? You're chopping and changing what you want. And I just wanted the interview to end because she couldn't answer any of the questions. (laughs) Um, In terms of what we should do, um, we need to be advocating for normal people and what their priorities are. And what I hear, you know, when I'm talking to people on the doorstep, it's about, you know, decent schools, a health system that isn't about to fall over. Will I be able to pay my mortgage when my fixed rate ends? How will I ever get on the housing ladder in the first place? Um, and those are where we need to start with our with our policies and what our priorities are, is advocating for, for those kinds of voices. And actually, um, before Caroline comes in and mine, there was, a, there was a survey out about just that the day before the mini budget talking about the public perception of tax and spend versus uh, lower tax. And actually, the, I think the public gets the fact that if you want, a, you know, decent services, you have to pay for it. I mean, one of the most successful things that I remember, I've been a parliamentary candidate now the last uh, four elections. And actually, one of the most popular the last two, and actually me just saying, look, you know, I, I, I benefit from my wife and most of my family working in the NHS. If you want a high-functioning NHS, you have to pay for it. But it's the type of taxes and where you tax to pay for it that matters. If I say to you, you want a penny of income tax to make sure the NHS doesn't fall into the, the sea, they, they get that and they understand it. But this is what the national insurance rise, I'm glad they've taken it away. The national insurance rise is a far more regressive tax than income tax in terms of how you work. I mean, income tax isn't perfect, but it's better than what they were going to do. And that's the argument I have to believe. It's It's not just how the level of tax, it's how you tax and what you use it for, would be my, mm. is my argument, Caroline. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I think people are willing to 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 pay taxes to protect the NHS and and also state schools. You know, I think education is is really important to people. Um, I think perhaps we're a bit narrow as to where we look at, at taxation. I mean, for me, one of the ones that doesn't make sense at all is um, council tax because it hasn't been. You know, the value of of houses for council tax hasn't mm-hmm. been reassessed for a very very long time and. You know, I'm probably not the only person on this podcast who's benefiting from the fact that I I I bought a house 30 years ago, you know, a small flat 30 years ago and, and have kind of ridden that wave that, that our children are not going to be able to do. And there are people sitting on houses now that are worth millions of pounds and the council tax hasn't been reassessed. So maybe that's an area to look at to, to so that, you know, that might be a bit fairer, that people who are sitting on all that accumulated wealth actually put a bit more in the pot. 
Oh, we haven't had a reference to land value tax in a while, Caroline. That's go- that's going to keep our core listener happy. I didn't mention land value tax. <laughs> no, no. But that, in essence, Martin, I mean, other than tax accountants being very uh, popular at the moment, uh, how, how do you see this going for the Lib Dems? Um, I see it quite... Well, one, one problem I see is that um, every time we come up with a really good policy, two weeks later it gets copied by the Labour Party and it becomes their policy. <laughs> yeah. um, um, because, you know, we wanted the windfall tax first. We wanted the energy price cap first. You know, we, there's various things that... I mean, sometimes I guess it's quite useful if we're talking about the same issues because people can go for their non non-conservative candidate of choice in whatever area but i think that's one of the things that we suffer from is that we you know any how, how do we play come up with a policy and then keep it as being ours um is a bit of a challenge i think um i mean with the with the tax policy stuff i don't i don't think you know things like it, it would be sensible to say we're not going to get rid of the 45p rate cut but we need to have some things that are in there that are going to benefit more people um VAT possibly yeah. because that's more aggressive something look at something like on that and also but then on the micro stuff things where you get double bang for your book on things like tax policy they're not very exciting or very interesting but you know i saw something the other day that saying well within five years 40 percent of gps are going to retire mm. or leave the profession well, part of why they're doing that is because they're incredibly overstressed but the other reason why is because pension policy and tax policy actually disincentivizes them from carrying on working it actively does so. so something needs to be done about that because they're literally driving experienced gps out of the profession and i suppose one thing that one of the big disappointments from our conference not happening and we've had uh, if you, we had that discussion in the last episode was actually this was the start of our manifesto process was going to start at conference in actually starting to get our big pillars of where we we're going to go so i'm actually sure once the the federal elections are out of the way we'll start having you know fairly robust debates leading up to the spring conference about actually setting our stall out but you're right I mean, it's one of those things that we're not going to get the, the major media coverage, but and Labour will like steal our clothes quite a bit. But that's just the nature of being one of the smaller parties in the UK, and we have to kind of swallow that and fight as we do um, on the ground. Now, let's we're going to do a quick fire round to to see how you guys think. So this is you know whether Martin's wonderful predictions are going to come true again. Let's go around. Think so. Will Liz Truss make it to the next general election as Prime Minister? We'll start with you, Martin. Uh, I think so, yeah. I'm not as confident as I am about lots of other things, but on the balance, I think so, yeah. Alison? No. Caroline? She will, but she'll be the cause of the next election. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I think she'll survive to the next session because I just think the alternatives are worse. But that's interesting. So Alison's out on the reach. So, um, listeners, do you agree with Alison? Let us know in the comments. <laughs> Boris um, in by Christmas, I reckon. Oh. Boris in by Christmas. <laughs> what, what, what odds do you get on that? I wonder. That is Boris. I don't know. I, I'm not a betting person. <laughs> I generally, I'm, I'm really, I'm going to let you. I'm going to do a next quick fire question where I look at the odds of Boris being the next uh, uh, leader. If trust does go. Will the Tories call an election or just appoint a new person? Caroline? I think they'll have to call an election. I don't quite know how the mechanics of that will work, but they won't go through another leadership selection like they've just done. Mine? I mean, I think if, if, think, if that happened, I think it would be a, a parliamentary party coronation. And I don't think, I don't think the 1922 committee or the the rest of the Conservative Party would insist on it going to the membership. I think some degree of sanity would prevail and they would have a they would have a truncated selection process for the new leader. Bring back uh, Rishi. Yeah. yeah, I mean yeah. Presumably um Sir Graham Brady's got Rishi on speed dial ready for that moment. Because if yeah. if trust went, they then couldn't go into a general election without a leader of some sort. So they'd need somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they would put Rishi in and then call an election. God knows. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we've got uh, oh, Boris Johnson 16 to 1 to be the Prime Minister after the next general election, which seems a bit 
I don't know how that would work. Whoever's That's an accumulator, John. <laughs> yeah, because that because that would mean the Tories win and then ditch the person that wins. So I don't think that whoever's doing that betting odds is uh has got uh, interesting ones. Sunak is favourite to replace, um, if she's interesting, and Kemi Badenoch doing well as well. So uh, you know, just because the right wingers have done so well so far, let's keep going with it. So, but what about not... what about Morden? Sorry, John, is oh, Morden on there? Wow, I wasn't expecting uh, th- this has gone other ways than I was expecting. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> Penny Mordant. Oh, Pe- oh, Boris is eight to one to replace Penny Mordant, twelve to one. Interestingly enough, and this is, uh, we can end on this in the podcast that my MP, so Ben Wallace, who is now by far the Conservative Home's most popular Tory MP, he, he keeps his head down and stays out of the controversy, but then votes through all this stuff. Now it's interesting. Will there be pressure on those Tory MPs who may not, who you know, a lot of them have been kicked out. The the Rishi Sunak uh, people are no longer in government. What happens to those Tory MPs that have kept their head down? Play because in the end, if they vote through this stuff, how tired will they be of the by the trust brand? I'll go with you first, Alison. I mean, wholly tarnished. Um, the other person actually worth contemplating is whether Michael Gove, who very sort of mm. sanctimoniously said he didn't want to be part of it, is now sitting there, you know, on Coonsberg this morning, ready to be, you know, come back and sort the mess out. Because he is well respected, you know, as a competent minister, even if what he does when he's a minister may not be to everybody who listens to this podcast taste. So yeah. Gove's possibility, I think. Too. It's interesting. The, the petting also puts Kwasi Kwarteng a sixteen to one to be the next prime minister. Now, if anyone's brand has, <laughs> has, has anyone's brand been tarnished by this last week, surely it's his, <laughs> Caroline. I think the betting odds are a bit out of date. But there's another interesting thought, isn't there? There's there's practically a whole cabinet now on the back benches. I mean, haven't they got more ex ministers on the back benches than they've ever had before? You know, there could be a kind of government in waiting, sort of, you know, having coffee with each other, um, in rather than going to party conference this week, you know, led by Gove and Rishi. Yeah, yeah. Scary time. Martin, final word from you. Um, what any? What do you think that the moderate Tories will do at this point? Oh. <laughs> Hang their heads, have a have another <laughs> glass of whiskey, I don't know. Um, uh, keep talking to each other quietly <laughs> where, uh, and come up, come up with a plan and, and see who they can unite around. I mean, I do think that if... I, I don't think they're going to be the first to move. I think they're going to see this one, see this how this one plays out. I don't think she's going to be brought down by the moderate, sensible ones. It's going to be the kind of more reactionary that will do it. But then the question is, you know, who do they unite? And I think it does make a huge difference if it, if it were to happen, which I don't think it's that likely, but if they do have to choose a new leader, are they going to the membership or is it something they could sort out in, in Westminster? Because if it's some if it's the parliamentary party gets to choose, you'll have something much more stable and much more sensible. Whereas if if it goes to the membership, Lord alone knows what might happen. But I mean, if you're a Tory MP, would you trust the Tory membership right now to pick a sensible leader? I'm not no. sure. I'm not sure you do. But and on, and I suppose on on that bombshell, we will end this episode. So thank you so much to Martin, Caroline, and Alison for coming on the podcast and discussing this. We're going to have because I was on holiday for two weeks. One of them was expected. The other one was a conference holiday that didn't happen. Um, so we'll have lots of things because we're going to talk. We've got loads of episodes about what's going to mean for Labour, what how we're going to move forward. All we've got absolutely tons in our podcast WhatsApp group. I've got to find time for everything. Not to mention all of our wonderful parliamentary candidates like Caroline, like Alison, who are going to be leading the charge for us next time. We're going to do, be doing special focuses on their fights as well. So thank you everyone for watching and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like and comment on anything you've heard today. We really appreciate all your feedback. So look after yourselves, watch out for the mortgage markets and we'll be back with another episode very soon. <laughs>